0: Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today, we're going to be dipping into some of the sessions from the recent 2021 UBS European Conference. Regular listeners to this programme will recall from past iterations that the conference is a forum that provides the opportunity to hear from leading political, economic and monetary policy experts debating the pivotal questions shaping the investment landscape. This year in London, alongside voices from UBS, there were more than 100 European CEOs, both at UBS's London HQ at 5 Broadgate and dialling in from remote locations worldwide, rather than its usual spot at the Landmark Hotel. Over the past decade or so, the conference has become one of the most important European industry meetings for institutional investors, corporates and policymakers alike. The conference featured 23 macro and other thematic panels, various keynotes, and more than 40 corporate fireside chats. But we kick off our coverage with highlights from the introductory sessions, entitled Monetary Policy Limits – What Limits? Hosted by UBS Chairman Dr Axel Weber. In his opening remarks, the chairman discussed how a period of great, and in many ways unprecedented, uncertainty continues. Here's what Dr Weber had to say.
1: Uncertainty around the vaccination, which we talked about a year ago, that has largely been resolved. We now have effective vaccines, and we are enjoying a massive global recovery, in particular in the second half of this year. We're seeing financial results in financial industry and in corporates that are among the best over the last 10 years. But we have new uncertainties that are emerging, in particular around inflation probably one of the biggest and most important risks that I get asked about from investors over recent months. To date, consumer price inflation is limited to just a few countries, notably the U.S., and some emerging markets, and to Europe. However, history has shown that inflation tends to be global, and inflation rates in different countries have been highly correlated historically. There are linkages through trade, through commodity prices, through exchange rates and monetary policy. And that could mean two things. The longer inflation remains high in some parts of the world, the higher is the risk that it will become entrenched and that it will pull up still low inflation rates in the rest of the world and in other parts of the world, and that we will see a more pronounced inflation problem. Whether that is a possibility or not will largely depend on monetary policy and its reaction and on the rebound of the economy and whether some of the catch-up dynamics we've seen in prices from this very deep drop of the global economy are transitory and simply base effects or whether there is more substantial wage price rounds emerging. Most analysts still believe that the rise of inflation is transitory. And I remember when we talked last year, I basically said, Yes, that's probably true, but we shouldn't rely too much on forecasts, and I want to repeat that warning. We are living in unprecedented times, and rather than focusing on the average forecast, we should look at the uncertainty around these forecasts and there is sizable uncertainty. So, whilst we do not expect inflation to be a prolonged phenomenon, there is the risk that it might stay higher for longer and it might get more embedded into waste price dynamics. And it's a risk to be monitored and carefully watched. Once the panel got
0: underway, first to take the floor was Jim Bullard, President and Chief Executive Officer of the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. He set the scene from a US vantage point.
2: I think a simple way to understand where the US is with respect to the pandemic is to look at Uh, Probably our best metric of pandemic intensity, which is deaths per day per million. Uh, In the beginning part of the pandemic, deaths per day per million in the US uh, were around a seven. And then last winter in the December 2020, January 2021 period in the US, deaths per day per million went up to a 10. So that was actually the most intense part of the pandemic. And that was when vaccines were just coming into view. And then we had the Delta variant uh, just here in the third quarter uh, that just passed. Uh, The Delta variant was a six on this scale. So I like this little calculation because it shows you that the Delta variant was a pretty serious uh, intensification of the pandemic, even though vaccines uh, were on the scene in the U.S. And it did influence uh, US GDP growth in the third quarter, uh, which came in uh, softer than expected. However, I think most forecasters, including me, uh, think that that's a temporary phenomenon. Now cases per day uh, per million are declining in the US, deaths per day per million declining, hospitalizations declining. So it looks like the pandemic's again coming under better control in the US. And so I think, growth is just being pushed out to the fourth quarter, the current quarter of 2021, and then all through 2022. So I have growth uh, in the U.S. Uh, higher than 4% uh, for all of 2022. So you're talking about a growth rate in the U.S. is going to be, you know, more than double the potential growth rate for the economy over a five-quarter period, including the current quarter. So I think this is you know, gives you a sort of initial uh, view of what's happening in the US. Even though the pandemic has a long tail here, uh, businesses have adapted and the economy has adapted. And I think also for investors, the uh, key issue is that the technology is not stopping. So you have more and more vaccinations occurring in the US and you have more technology coming online, vaccinations for children, You've got pills coming online, you've got booster shots. So I think the best bet is the pandemic will continue to come under better and better control going forward, and that's going to fuel uh, continued US growth driven in part by aggressive fiscal and monetary policy.
0: Next up, we'll hear from Raghu Rajan, professor of finance at the Booth School of Business and former governor of the Reserve Bank of India, also a former chief economist at the IMF. He also began by discussing the impact of COVID, but was quick to make a parallel point alongside his observation about the extraordinary public and private sector response to the pandemic.
3: We also have uh, an unprecedented fiscal and monetary response, especially in industrial countries. This is occurring at a time that we also have the legacy of, of high levels of leverage but also enormous amounts of innovation, both in the financial and non-financial sectors. One example of the non-financial innovation is certainly the vaccines themselves. We also have a tremendous differentiation across countries and also within countries. And finally, uh, surrounding all this is the high and almost indiscriminate level of financial asset prices and uh, the prospect of rising inflation and interest rates that uh, we just heard about. Now, uh, you know, I said that this is unprecedented, but to some extent, the current outlook is much more benign only if we believe this time is not different. Uh, we've already heard a lot of talk about inflation being transitory. And to some extent, the hope amongst uh, many is that we go back to modest inflation, which we had post global financial crisis. That is the forces pulling us down back to normal are the same forces that existed post-global financial crisis. And of course, the naysayers here basically point to all the things that have changed, and maybe it's worth paying attention to some of that as certainly uh, embedded in Axel's cautious remarks. The other uh, big sort of concern outside of inflation and, and interest rates and the withdrawal of accommodative conditions is what's happening in the real economy, not so much in industrial countries, but uh, in emerging markets, and of course, the biggest one of them, uh, which is China. And again, there, I think the belief is that, uh, you know, there are major changes happening in China today. And the hope is that if if things go out of kilter, if demand suddenly plummets, China can reverse everything as it's always done and press the fixed asset uh, build button, which gets the economy out of trouble, press the credit button, which gets the economy out of trouble, as it has done many times in the past. And of course, those who believe that, uh, you know, perhaps those buttons are less functional today than they were in the past, uh, would have more worries about the Chinese situation.
0: After the panel kicked around some fascinating insights and views about inflation, central bank decision making, the labour market and more, Axel Weber wrapped up the session by asking the panellists where in the game we are around the world in terms of the expansion part of the cycle. Using, perhaps appropriately for St. Louis, a baseball analogy, Jim Bullard suggested we're maybe in the first innings as it's a whole new ball game. Smart, right? Raghu Rajan, using T20 cricket as his metaphorical marker, had this to say.
3: In the U.S., I think there are two markets. I, I agree with Jim. The labor market is is one focus, and I think we're more advanced than in the typical recovery in the labor market there. And, of course, we need to see how things pan out as, as the economy opens up fully. But uh, that is one source of worry. But I would say the financial market, uh, the financial cycle, is also an important issue right now because leverage never really came down in this cycle. We haven't had the deleveraging. In fact, we've had re-leveraging even uh, after the Fed action, so so my worry is that market is a little more peaky, and I'd say we're in the fifteenth or the sixteenth over in the twenty-over game in that market, and we have to see how that plays out. But but I do worry that we haven't had the deleveraging, which is typically uh, associated with with a downturn so far, which which prepares us for the upturn, for a longer upturn.
0: Raghu Rajan, and before that, Axel Weber and Jim Bullard. Up next, Axel Weber welcomed some voices from across UBS, some of which are familiar to this programme, to the stage, to continue the deep dive into the theme. We heard from Evan Brown, Portfolio Manager in UBS Asset Management, our old friend Mark Haefley, Chief Investment Officer from UBS Wealth Management, and also from Aaron Captain, Global Chief Economist in UBS Investment Bank, to whom I spoke in person the last time the conference was at its usual spot. Aaron, it was, who started things off, following up on the opening panel with a view from his standpoint as to where in the cycle we are right now.
4: If we uh, measure it relative to the pre-pandemic trend, so not the pre-pandemic level, but the pre-pandemic trend, I think we're going from, I would say, early cycle in the spring, you know, mid-cycle, roughly now to late cycle by the second half of next year. So all in the space of 50 months. Now, normally this would take a lot longer And I think the unique feature of this pandemic is that everything is faster. So it's not just a decline, it's a recovery as well. So if you look at the employment recovery and you compare that to the prior 40 years, it is just improving at a a speed that is radically different from anything we've seen in uh, in past recessions. If you look at investment, uh, same thing. Normally we'd be be sort of bottoming now on on investment, but investment's already back above the pre-pandemic level. And and I think give it a bit more time, we'll be back at the pre-pandemic trend now when i say you know late cycle doesn't mean we're going to go into recession next year i think you had a good discussion with um the central bank um guests just now and i think what it means is you'll be back at the pre-pandemic this is sort of our view you'll be back in a pre-pandemic environment where you run out of labor market slack you slow down to trend growth you don't actually generate a lot of inflation and we will debate that but and so you know and you can probably sustain those those lower growth rates for quite a while barring some some accidents so that's sort of the uh, the baseline but there, there's a different way of looking at it because you know if you look at the i think the, the narrative that is intuitive to everyone is to sort of think about this imbalance we have now between goods consumption and service consumption and goods employment and, and manufacturing employment and service employment. And what I think is striking there, and I think it was a point that actually Klaus Kult made on the, um, on the previous panel, you really want to be very careful not to think about the world through a US lens right now because the US is is unique, I think, in, in several respects. And if you look at the level of, uh, first of all, take spending, if you look at the level of good spending, so this supposedly is the, the sector that is overheating, there's excess demand, you know, we have shortages everywhere. Actually, in about half of the universe that we cover, that good spending is still below the pre-pandemic trend as well. So it's only in, in the other half that it's actually above trend, and generally only slightly above trend. It's only Singapore and the US that are way above trend. Everything else is actually just above trend. It's actually not as extreme as the shortages might imply. If you look at employment, basically employment in the good sector is below the pre-pandemic trend pretty much everywhere. Okay, so that is, that is a striking I think, sort of you know, statement about what is the nature of this crisis. I think it's, it's, it's very much a supply-driven crisis, not a demand-driven crisis, leaving the US aside. okay, so, so we still have, you know in aggregate, it feels like we're recovering really quickly, we're getting to late cycle, but then if you look at the imbalances, there's still quite a ways to go.
0: Arendt expanded on his theme and took in some things to worry about or not that the first panel had discussed, like China, for instance, wage growth and supply-side bottlenecks. He also had this to say.
4: So there is now this narrative that, you know, we're going to get into, yes, there are bottlenecks, and yes, labour markets are tight, and yes, we're going to get more wage growth. And then the, the narrative is, well, that is going to sustain uh, inflation. But I think the problem with that argument is if you put numbers on it, so if you run, if you, for instance, add, you know, wages to your price Phillips curve or prices to your wage Phillips curve, and you try to say... You know, how much conditional on wages going up 100 basis points, how much does that generate on average across the universe of, of developed markets that we look at? The answer is four basis points. Okay, so it is true that when things get tight, wages go up, and in Europe, that is more true than the US. But then conditional on those wages going up, it actually does not generate a lot of subsequent price pressure. And so these magnitudes really, really matter. So if, you, if you're worried about, okay, how am I going to be wor- wrong on my inflation forecast? I am not at all worried about being wrong on my wage forecast or my unemployment forecast, just because those wage pressures will not add a lot to inflation. I am tremendously worried about being wrong on the bottlenecks, because that is order of magnitudes more important, I think, to next year's inflation number than, than the wages are going to be.
1: And actually every bottleneck is an indication of a price that doesn't clear the market, so that's exactly, I think, where you're right come in. Let's move to Evan, who's uh, here with us. Uh, Evan, uh, you've been very consistently talking about risky assets and risky asset prices holding up. Uh, and actually, you know, why has that been the case against actually quite a strong repricing of monetary policy action and quite a sharp rise in the expectation of rate hikes? Why have risk assets held up so well?
5: The easy answer is, is earnings, of course, which have been exceptional. And we're seeing, on a high level, corporations show the kind of flexibility and dealing with these bottlenecks that they have with with covid but getting to this conversation on on monetary policy the market has priced in more hikes for 2022 and 2023 but as was discussed in the in the prior panel the terminal rate is still exceptionally low right we we have a five-year one-month ois rate that's below 1.5 percent uh so the markets say okay Fed and other central banks will hike, but they'll get inflation under control. Uh, and then we're, we're actually, despite all of the uh, conversation about how this cycle could be different, it actually looks pretty, pretty similar to last cycle and you have low long-term rates, right? So the market is, goes knee-jerk and says, oh, low, low long-term rate. This is a low growth, low volatility, low inflation world. There is no alternative. Let's go into credit. Let's go into growth stocks and, and tech and, and what favors the US market. Um, and that's I think why you've seen risk assets hold up. The question of course will be if that expectation of the terminal rate changes and that's a whole different environment.
1: So let's move to Mark. Mark. You're the captain on the largest uh, UBS investorship, that is the mandates business. And you know, maybe share with us going into the discussion some of the areas where you see, for example, your focus as we come into the next year. And then we'll talk a bit about the uh, economic outlook and you know, how that influences your asset allocation. So where do you stand at the moment? What are the asset classes you're looking at, uh, tactical and strategic allocations?
6: Sure, well, thank you. I think Evan did a good job of highlighting some of the areas that we're involved in. We do think there's still room in this reflation trade. We're playing that through moving towards Japanese equities, moving towards European equities. We like the energy and the financials as well because they can do well from a recovery, but if there is excess inflationary pressure, they can also do well from that, so the, so those are definitely focus areas for us. I think we're uh, also looking at Asian high yield because the you know the pricing there has gotten uh, a little extreme, so that that's another area we're looking at. And then you know I think I think you have got to given where the S and P or the Nasdaq are trading, you've you've got to keep looking for these other alternatives, and so. A lot of our clients are very concerned about China and the regulatory environment there. And we're saying, well, where is the regulatory environment helping you? And so that is areas like green tech, like China's drive towards energy independence. And so we want to be investing below the headline, mega cap names in technology, looking at the green tech, looking at the cybersecurity that Evan mentioned, and also looking at the health tech, because we think the regulatory environment is more benign and supportive in those areas.
1: You talk a lot to clients. What are the areas that uh, you hear uh, where clients worry most about where we stand and about the outlook?
6: Yeah, so probably not a surprise to most people, uh, certainly not a surprise to you. Our clients at a Swiss bank are obsessed with inflation. And every aspect of that, much more, I think, than, than we are, and you know ways of uh, hedging that out, and I think that that concern, you know, I think we acknowledge that that's a possibility, but it's probably not the biggest concern for us. I think for us, it's more a policy mistake by some of our, perhaps some of our friends who joined us on the panel before this. Uh, that's probably the biggest worry for us. And also the the more multi-dimensional chess game we have as we exit this when, you know, we're talking about monetary policy, but yet, you know, the fiscal policy response is also now very much in play compared to uh, the last time, you know, we were getting later in the cycle.
0: Mark Haefeli there. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in a fast-moving world of finance every week here on Monocle 24. We have another special UBS European Conference highlight reel coming up at the same time next week, where we'll be discussing sustainable finance, the pursuit of net zero, COP26 and the role of innovation in all those themes. Do be sure to tune in for that. In the meantime, do head to UBS.com to find out more, and you can listen again and follow this show and others like it at monocle.com or via your preferred podcast platform. The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24.